I am an adult. I really am. I know it's out for debate, but I am an adult. And the reason I know I'm an adult because I have adult children. And if you have an adult children and you're not an adult, you're in deep trouble. I am an adult. I'm also a person who believes as an adult that one of the most important things in life is to have fun. Good. Nehemiah said as he faced an insurmountable project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The joy of the Lord is our Most of us are tired most of the time, not because of physical exhaustion, but we're just basically miserable. And we have no reason to be miserable, and we know it, and that makes us more miserable. Because you're thinking, you know what, God has been so good to me, why do I feel so cotton-picking miserable? We're miserable at work, we're miserable at home, and we just say, you know what, when you're little, it's fun. And you get older, no fun. You first get married, fun. That, thank you. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you know, come on, you weenie guys. I mean, you know, you know, you, you know then you're married for a while. No fun. You know, you, you get, you know, how many of you have ever gone for, a, for a, an interview for a job and, oh God, let me have this job. And you pray, you, you put, you send out prayer. You ask people to pray. You don't pray, but you figure what could it hurt? So everyone's praying. You get that job. Oh, you go out. And you, and you celebrate. Have you ever celebrated ever getting a job? And then you get that job about three or four weeks, and you're like, oh, my God, why have I gotten this job? <laughs> Everyone I meet wants and believes fundamentally that there ought to be joy in life. But really what we're taught is that if you're really having fun, you must be doing something wrong. But if you're having fun, I mean, if your work is fun, there's a little hanky-panky going on. I mean, if your marriage is fun, you must have a girlfriend on the side. I mean, if your life is fun, if you walk around with a smile, something's wrong with you. And yet, all the way woven through the scriptures is this theme of joy, that we might have joy. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, not at the hand of joyful people, but mad, mean people, angry people, people who are frustrated with life. And into that dark place, God puts his people to show that there's a different way to live, right? And yet, if you were to ask most people about Christianity today, it would be a religion of rules and regulations and who's in and who's out. We need 
to find our joy again and live it. Listen to what the greatest missionary who ever lived said. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this is a fourth-class condition sentence in the Greek, which literally can be translated sense. Since you have encouragement with being united in Christ, since you have the comfort of his love, since we have the fellowship of his spirit, and since we have this tenderness and compassion from God lavished on our lives, then make my what? Joy complete. And here is a unique aspect of joy. Is I have to have someone else in my life to experience real joy. Joy isn't something you can experience in isolation. You are made for relationship. I mean, were you shocked as I was when you saw the news this week? Terrell Owens attempts suicide. I'm like, that's too weird. And then we come to find out it was an over, you know, it was an accidental overdose. And it, and it probably was. But as I've heard his life described, his life sounds like a lot of people I know, including me. And as we tend to just kind of do life alone, I'm big enough, tough enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> and I'm the toast of the town in public, but when it comes to really having someone in my life who really knows me, loves me, can hold me accountable, knows all my sins and faults. I want to keep people at a distance. Paul says, you know what? My joy is incomplete without knowing how well you're doing. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and purpose. He says, if you're doing well, I'm doing well. If you're not doing well, I'm not doing well. That's a unique nature of being a Christian. Is that we're all a part of each other. We relate to one another. We're supposed to encourage and pray that each other does well. Right? It's pitiful. So, the mission of the gathering is to help us do that. The mission of the gathering is to create environments and experiences. I think environment experiences. We've taken a, a nondescript environment. We're trying to transform it to create an experience. Have you ever had a situation, time in your life, where you're down and you're depressed and you know you're you're, you're focused on yourself and you know you just don't want to do anything, and someone invites you to something and you know and you don't really want to go you know like church you know and but you go anyway and you go into an environment that is joy filled the people seem freed up and you're having fun we call it let's party <laughs> have you ever done that and gone away and said man i'm so glad i went you see, Satan's ploy is to not make you spit up pea soup and carry a pitchfork, 
But to get you so focused on yourself that you just feel sorry for yourself and you stay in your little dark hole, your little rut, you know, get up, go to work, come home, be around the same messed up people, be a member of a weird family, do that every day for the rest of your life until you die. Yeehaw. You know what? God has called all of us to worship him in environments of acceptance, love, grace, and redemption. To have the experience of his love with other people having the same experience. So we're going to create environments and experiences where real people connect to God and each other. How's that? Real people connect to God. I know some of you. And some of you are more infamous than me. But we don't talk about it, you know. We know you're messed up. And now you know I'm messed up. So that was a shock to you. We, 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 We connect to God and each other. And here's what I'm learning. And I hope you understand what I'm going to say. It's not enough to just connect to God. I mean, eternally it is, and going to heaven it is, and all that is. You know, theologically it is, but practically it's not. We were created to live in relationship. It's not enough to say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trusting Jesus. Have you ever heard someone say that and you feel sorry for both Jesus and them? <laughs> you know what? I'm trusting Jesus, but I need some people with skin on. How about you? I need someone to call me up and say, you're Okay. Not only are you okay, but you're with me. And I'm with you. To create environments and experiences where real people connect to God and each other for the purpose, here it is. Just let me say, let me tell you what my agenda is to change the world. We've got to recover our belief that what we do and how we do it can change the world. How we respond. A lot of things that happen to us we can't control. Some things that happen to us become a consequence of other people's decisions. And if we're not careful, we begin to define our lives by the circumstances and decisions made by other people. You can't define those, but you can respond to them. And you can simply say, I'm not going, I'm not going to stay where someone else has put me. I want to grow, I want to get better, I want to be more. I want to respond to the adversity. There's a book I read several years ago. You ought to get it called The Power to Prevail. (laughs) Turning adversity into an advantage. I feel sorry for the dude who wrote that book. (laughs) Has a used copy back here. He'll sell you. You know, and you say, how are you, how are you going to change the world? I mean, isn't that, a, isn't, that a, isn't that, I think, a noble aspiration, isn't it? But the question is, how do we do it? We're going to gather it. We're going to do it by doing three simple things, doing it every day, every week, for the, for the rest of our lives together, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick. Whether you stick or not, I'm going to stick. And this is what I'm going to really get good at. I'm going to get good at gathering for weekly worship celebration. 
Listen to this. Praise the Lord. You see, I'm a Baptist, and we don't praise the Lord other than when we read it in a book. We don't say, praise the Lord. We don't raise our hands. You know, we don't move. We just, it's not right. But if it were right, <laughs> we might praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with a sounding trumpet. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him <coughs> with a tambourine and with dancing. Now, don't be dancing at the gathering, man. I'm telling you. You dance, we're going to send you home. You know, most people, most, you know, most people get up on Sunday morning and it's just another day. It's not that they don't know that church is happening. They've just been. And they basically say, you know what, I can spend my time in a better way. And that's an indictment on us as much as it is on them. We ought to, we ought to you know, I hope and pray that we will be the kind of people that when we get up on Sunday morning and we're able the first place we would want to be is gathering with God's people in an environment to have an experience of the genuine God around other God chasers, God seekers. We're going to grow together, up, out, and more through daily collaboration. As the gathering grows, we're going to put together grow groups or gathering groups or, or whatever e-teams or whatever we're going to call them. We're going to find a way to do life together through collaboration. You know what collaboration is? Talking to each other. Sharing the experience. You know how you grow spiritually? By talking to other people who are a little bit ahead of you. You know what you do with that growth? Talk to people who are a little bit behind you. This is really brain surgery, isn't it? <laughs> AA has been, I think, certainly in the 20th century, the most dominating spiritual force for change in America, and they've done it by a lot of simple principles. And the ones that I think are most astounding is that if you've gone through AA for whatever, whatever experience you had, you, if you're doing your program, have a sponsor and you sponsor someone else. That's, that's the biblical model, isn't it? Is that you have a sponsor. In other words, you have someone who's further down the road than you, who has wisdom to share, and you're sponsoring someone who's coming right up behind you. But what we do is we expect the church to solve all the problems and grow up all the people. And that wouldn't be a bad idea if we understood that the church is the people, not the pasture. You got quiet on that one, didn't you? I knew we would. It's okay. That's all right. All right. And we will give our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Does that sound like something you've heard before? We will give our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to create solutions and systems that glorify God and advance the good. We will give our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to create solutions and systems. Here's the deal. We, as Christians, in this... Do you know when the a survey was done last year? I'm not sure. I need to go back and find it and read it and to be accurate. But uh, they, were, they, they made a list of the most feared groups in America. I forgot what number one was. I think it was like terrorist or there was a terrorist thing. You know what number two was? Christians. Yeah. Christians. 
And I'm, my first thought is, that's ridiculous. And then I, my second thought is, if I were looking at this thing from the outside, I get that. I get that. I mean, when Christian ministers stand up on TV and advocate the assassination of another government leader, I get that. So just, to, just lump him in and lump us in with that whole thing. All these hateful people who use religion as a noose to hang the people they don't agree with or a wall to shut them out. And that's not what Jesus taught or will have anything to do with. We're people who create solutions. We're solution people. We're systems people. We do this motivated by the need to control. <laughs> Amen. We want to control the world. Yes. We already have Christian radio and Christian books. We want Christian office supply stores and Christian Mary Kay and Christian, you know, just whatever. No. What's our motivation? Love. Motivated by love and the belief that every life matters to God. That's our motivation. And I have to tell you that I, I, as I've gotten older, some, I have several people asking me, some, some people asking me, this night, I can't believe you want to do this again. Well, the question is what? What do I want to do again? I'm not doing anything again. I'm doing what I've always done since I was an 18-year-old kid. And that is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with a confidence and conviction that when the heart is changed, everything else changes and nothing changes to the heart changes and I can't change the human heart. But the gospel can. It is the hope of the world. And when the church is done right, when we go be the church everywhere else, it's easy to be the church in here. Amen, praise the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Hallelujah. I got got my jeans on. Me too. All right, great. I'm thinking about, you know, when we moved to a more permanent, I'm thinking about wearing a suit. Yeah, I really am. I'm sorry, you know, because I'm a countercultural guy. And here, a suit would be countercultural, wouldn't it? So you must watch out. You may show up one day with one, if I can get one donated. What do we, here's, our, here's our passion. We, our passion is to create environment experiences where real people connect to God and each other for the purpose of changing the world. And what we need to make sure is that our motivation to do what we do is right. Because what I have found is that people lose their motivation long before they lose the responsibility. I'm responsible for all of this, but I don't have any joy in doing it. So let me ask you about your motivation. What motivates you? This is the most fascinating thing to me. When I, when I meet people, uh, this is one of the first, you know, like, like people who, you know, I want to mentor me. This is one of the first questions I ask. What motivates you? Through my first book, I got to meet and in, form a relationship with Randall Wallace, who, is, who wrote and uh, produced Braveheart, which is the greatest movie ever made in the history of the world. And if you disagree, then, you know, that's okay. <laughs> 
But through, through my first book, we made connection. And uh, I, you know, and I, I sit in and I, I ask him, I said, what motivates you? I said, after you've done all this stuff, you have all this money, you have all this stuff, what motivates you? It's like, you know, when people win the lottery, you know, you say, well, and they, first question, what's the first, what's the first question they ask them? Are you going to work? Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to sit here like a lump in a log and kiss my money every morning. That's great. And it's amazing how, what people, how people respond to that. And most people respond, well, I really, truthfully, okay, you nailed me. I don't have any. I've been amazed at how many successful people are successful and have no motivation because it ran out somewhere, way back there somewhere. They forgot this ought to be fun. And here's why I think it happens. This is really, really important. There are four motivations I want to talk to you about. One, I do what I do because I feel guilty if I don't. None of you have ever heard that one, have you? I feel guilty if I don't. You know, how many people do I hear say, I want to go to this party. I really don't want to go, but I'm going to feel guilty if I don't. I really don't like these people, but we're going to have dinner with them because I feel guilty if I don't. We guilt ourselves all the way through life. So we end up buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And we wonder why we're miserable. Because we do what we do because I feel guilty. Now, let me just say this to you. Guilt is a good thing. It is a good thing. Listen to what the scriptures say. Paul is writing to a church. And he's had to be very hard on them. He's had to really nail them on some, some things. And this is what he says. He says, I know that my letter caused you sorrow. He says, but I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I'm happy. Why? Not because I made you sorry, but because your sorrow led you to what? Repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so we are not harmed in any way. You're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings about what? Repentance that leads to salvation and leaves room for no regret. Repentance is coming down front, crying, promising God you'll never do it again, only to do it again. And come back and repent of having done it again next week. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, no, no. Repentance isn't saying, oh God, I'm sorry I did it. I'll never do it again. You may say, oh God, I'm sorry I do it, did it, but I'm probably going to do it again. I mean, if you really want to do it again, you'll find a way to do it again. Repentance is not changing your behavior, it's changing your mind. And guess what? When you metanoia, to change the mind, the idea is that you turn, you go a different direction. If you've ever repented from your heart, the Bible calls it godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is met by God's grace, his love, and healing. It's not something to ever be regretted. If you feel, if you've done something wrong, 
You're going to feel guilt. And you ought to thank God that you do. It's the day you have no conscience left that you're in big, big, big trouble. What is guilt supposed to do? Drive us to God for his mercy and grace to repent, to turn, to be saved from that and get up every day living with no regret. Let me ask this question. Be honest. God is watching. How many of you don't vote, wake up every morning, one of the first things that you think about is what you would ask God to forgive you for? Some of you say, no, well, I do. Oh, God, forgive me. I do it constantly. And when I do that, I sense God is saying, okay, are we, is, is it going to be another one of those days? We're just going to keep rehearsing all the past. I've forgiven you. There's no condemnation. But if that's where you're going to live, you know, just go ahead. Go ahead and repent of everything you've ever done. Repent of that divorce. Repent of that thing. Repent of this. Repent of the other thing. Repent of that drink. Repent of you smoked a cigarette. Oh, my God. The world's going to come to an end. Just, you know, keep on asking me to forgive you for stuff I've already forgiven you for. There is no condemnation and there is no debt to just keep on asking. And I think Satan loves it when we repent of stuff we've already repented of. I think we ought to get sin some new sins, you know, some big ones. No, no, I'm just kidding. So do you do as you do because you feel guilty? Okay, if, if, guilt, if guilt leads you to repentance, that's a good thing. There's a big difference between guilt and shame. When you read what God says about your behavior, you will feel guilty. But when you read what God says about you, you will never feel ashamed. Second, I do what I do because I want to obligate God to be good to me. I want God to be good to me. So some of you are here at the gathering to get some points because you are in a basic point deficit with God. You need, you need some points, you know, because you've been a bad boy, you know. So I'm here to get some points, Right? Now, here's an argument that Paul makes about how you're justified with God, how you're made right with a holy God. And he makes the argument that it is by faith we are made just, not by our works. And he uses the illustration that, that the Jews would respect Abraham, the father of faith. And he said, Abraham trusted God and it was imputed or counted to him as righteousness. But then, I, I've, uh, <coughs> then I, where I've underlined this sentence, here's the payoff to this. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, right? I bet, I bet no one in this room backed up yesterday to get your paycheck. Here, just give it to me. I'm so embarrassed. You know. I mean, you, are, do you believe in a, a fair week's wages for a fair week's work? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and if they don't pay you, you're probably not going to show up for long because they're obligated. And what God is saying is this, is that you cannot obligate me. You see, there's, there, there are two basic kinds of churches in the world. There's option A church and option B church. 
Option A church says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted, loved, cared for, and blessed. And the more I obey, the more stuff I find that I don't do, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't run with the women who do. You know, I don't vote for the wrong candidate. I, you know, I, 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 there are so many things I don't do. I don't go to R-rated movies. I don't sit around people who do. You know, I don't cheat. You know, I'm a good guy on the basis of all the stuff I don't do. I get up all day long and don't do stuff. And get home at night and feel great about my life. And there are an awful lot of really angry people in churches today hacked off at God because they've been good. And they don't have much to show for it. I've been good. I have people tell all my I've been this good and I've got cancer. Why me? Okay, why not you? Are you special? I mean, all of us are going to die one day. I mean, you know, way, you know, 50 years from now. You know, we have this idea that, you know, if, we can just, if, if, if we're really good, we can obligate God to be good to us. No, no, you can't. You, no, no. If that's your motivation, you're going to be hacked off most of your life because there is no quid pro quo. I mean, have you ever heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. And if that's the way you live, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. If, you, if you're motivated by guilt, you're going, to be a, you're going to be miserable. You're going to make everyone else miserable. If you're, if you're motivated in some way, you know, that if I obey God, you know, I'm accepted. The truth of the matter is, the B church, and there are very few of them that I found, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I'm already accepted. Here's a cool thing. You know, I hate to say this, but I can say it in this room because, you know, you're dangerous people. and I didn't make you dangerous. You just arrived messed up. So here, I'm just going to tell you the truth. You don't have to do another blasted thing to go to heaven. You go to heaven on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ and your willingness to trust that, plus and minus nothing. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to stay married to the same person. You don't have to vote Republican. You don't have to hate all the right people. And you don't have to abstain from meat or non-filtered camels. Did you know that? It's the truth. But see, religion doesn't want you to know that because the only control religion has over you is its prohibitions. And we can make those prohibitions so onerous and so evil and so bad, and we can promise you eternal punishment if you do them, then. Real yeah, baby. But see, my job is to set you free. So you can live free, have fun. That's the only way we're going to change the world. If we place our frown and our anger, I'm good and mad about it. Because you know what? The Christian, on the virtue of who he or she is, determines what she or he must do. When someone wounds you deeply, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you already know how to respond. 
It may not be easy. It may, not, it may go against your emotion. But your response is, if they slap you on one side, you do what? I mean, you know, theoretically, not like we're really going to do it, but, you know, you know. Turn the other cheek? No. That's what, that's what our leader did and caused us to do. So which, you know, I want to be a B option church where people do what they do because they're loved. So here are the two motivations that I work on in my life. I do what I do because I'm loved. I have a new motivation. Therefore, I'm loved. I'm not doing what I'm doing this morning in order to be loved. I'm not doing what I do because if I, you know, I thought a lot, you know, in the last uh, month or two, but you know, what else could I do? Maybe I could make money honestly, you know, (laughs) maybe do a real job that contributes to society. You know, I think I could do, you know, several things successfully. You know, and, and, and here's, my, here's my problem, is that I have a calling on my life. And I've tried to help people understand this. But my calling is to this city, not to a piece of property. I believe that what we are about as followers of Jesus will save the world from itself. The most important thing in the whole world. The most important thing in the whole world, Apollo, we were talking the other day, and, you know, and, uh, you, know you, you, you ever have a pity party? You know, and we, what, what, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done this, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, well, maybe, you know, because she was so involved in children, and, and she said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that, maybe I should have just been your dutiful wife and just, you know, showed up and smiled and, and I said, well, you know what, you can feel that way, uh, but when you get into heaven and there's a long line of kids who are adults and say, you helped me get to God when I was a kid, you won't regret it. Amen? Man, tell me you believe this. So I, there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ for the power of the living spirit. And this power is mine through Christ has freed me from the vicious cycle. Amen. No condemnation. I hope you feel that and sense that and claim that for yourself. You know what I do? I do what I do because I'm called. I do what I do because I'm loved. I'm careful. I'm not doing anything I do to get more of God's love and more of God's blessing. I just want to be who it is I am. And that's all you got to be is who you are. And stop trying to be someone else. Be you. Be the best you you can be. And here's the last motivation. I will do what I do because I'm learning to trust the revolutionary teachings of Jesus. In this passage, there are seven revolutionary ideas. They're revolutionary. I said this a couple of weeks ago when we started this series. It's one of our problems is we trade respectability for the revolution. We don't like talking about revolution because it sounds like we're, you know, a bunch of, you know, Baptist Al-Qaeda's, you know. 
You're like Baptist terrorists. You know, revol- we mean revolution. This is exactly what I mean. Listen to what Jesus said. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Even Now Jesus is getting nosy, isn't he? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And here are seven radical ideas. Radical idea number one, love your enemies. Is that a radical idea? Oh, why aren't you? Okay. You act like, no, no, I I do that all all day long. (laughs) Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) Do good to them. Radical idea number two, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, which is us. Third radical idea, be merciful just as your father is merciful. God's mercy is withholding from us what we deserve. Radical idea number four, do not judge and you will not be judged. Radical idea number five, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Radical idea number six, forgive and you will be forgiven. Anybody seen Gridiron Gang? You love God? You've seen the Gridiron Gang? What do you people do with your lives? You don't have any cultural enrichment? The Rock, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, Gridiron Gang? There's a, there's a point in the movie, he's talking to this kid in jail and he's trying to convince this kid that he ought to forgive his father. And the kid looks up at The Rock and says, how long, you know, The Rock is like, you know, in his late 30s, I guess. And he says, how long did it take you to forgive your father? And the rock is just stopped in his tracks and his tears coming down his eyes. He says, until just now. If you do not forgive those who've wounded you, you build your own prison. Radical idea number six, number seven. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Here's what I want us to be. Men and women who are having fun. Who understand the realities of life. Who understand the pain. Who understand the reverse. Who understand that there are hard, harsh realities. But they can all be faced better if we're freed up and joy-filled and Christ and who he is and what he taught and what he is right now in this world and in us is the solution to every problem we face. Why would we want to be just another church on a corner trying to make people a better version of the old them? Come and be more like Peter. Be more like Paul. I don't want to be more like biblical characters. I want to be more like who I'm supposed to be. I don't want to be better. I want to be different. I don't want to be a better version of the old me who repeats the same old mistakes. I want to be different. I want to be a Christ follower, engaging life with other Christ followers who join together in this movement of grace, who come together to connect to God and each other, and here's what I want you to do. As the gathering goes forward and as God opens up, and no telling what God's going to do and how, you know, I, I've seen this happen before. Trust me. I've seen this happen before. 
There's no telling what God's going to do and where this thing is going to go. But here's what I ask you to do. Number one, I want you to pray constantly that God's will will be done through the gathering. Two, pray that God will insert you into the gathering as someone who can make something happen. People constantly say to me, you know what? I've just sat back and just kind of let everyone else do, do stuff, and I'm going to do that anymore. Well, then I double-dog dare you to come through with what you just said. Be the person who makes something happen. And three, be the person who takes the initiative to look at someone in this room and gather them around you and say, let's do lunch, let's do life, let's have coffee. I want to know, I want to talk I want to know about you. I want to know about your life. And not just come and go out of each other's lives. Let's be a part. Let's, let's grow together in love. Because we need each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. I pray that you will touch us and change us and morph and make us. I pray for someone here today who's come with a deep burden. I pray that you will set them free. I pray for someone who's come here today needing a touch from your hand and your heart. Father, I pray for someone here today who's just so close of crossing over the line of belief to say yes to Christ as their God, their Lord, and their Savior. I pray today, Father, they'll say yes to you. Say, Jesus Christ, all of me I know, all of my sin and my sorrow and my brokenness, I give to you. Come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord and my God. Change me, make me different. Turn me into that renegade, that radical follower who lives a counter-cultural life of love and grace and mercy and peace and radical generosity. Send us away, Father, to do good. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go get them.